Leafs podcast. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode on Spotify, SoundCloud, or Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's Nick D'Souza and Kevin Papetti. Welcome to the Everything Least Podcast. I'm Kevin Papetti here with Nick as always. Nick, we last recorded January 18th. They were 3-1 and one at the time, the Leafs, and six games since then. They're 4-1-1, one one. so 2-0 and against Calgary. 2-1-1 one one against Edmonton, 7-2-1 and one in the season. Before we kind of get too deep in terms of the analysis here, can we be happy with a 7-2-1 and one record? Overall, when you look at everything, you have to be happy with this. I mean, they've played 10 games in in uh, in 18 days. So uh, obviously not an easy schedule. They've obviously never had a, a real preseason, didn't even have a real training camp. So um, And then all the pressure of the Canadian division and whatnot. So... You know, your first place, you have 15 points in 10 games. Yeah, Overall, you have to be happy, but I feel like, you know, we a lot of this fan base and even the organization kind of feels like they have more in them. So I guess that's what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, I think we, we'll have some things to complain about, obviously. It hasn't been all perfect, but 7-2-1, you can't really go wrong. I'm just happy. Like, I don't want to be thinking about missing the playoffs at all. I don't even want it to be close. I want them to have flexibility towards the end of the season to rest Anderson if they want or, you know, give someone a night off. So I just think that's, you know, 7-2-1, and one, they're tied for first. Well, they're, they're first in the North, but they think they're tied with Montreal in points percentage. I know some teams haven't really gotten off to the start they wanted to. I think, you know, obviously uh, there, there's certainly some concerns. I don't know if the 40% power play is sustainable, but um, hasn't been perfect. The only thing I'll, I'll, I'm mad about is the Ottawa loss, really, because they haven't beat anyone else yet, and that's that's starting to wear on me. That was an odd game, to say the least, the, the, the goals and the way that they lost, but uh, I feel like just, I mean, they've, they've just won so many games since that I, I'm kind of over it, but I can definitely see why why it's stinging, because it is Ottawa, and they've, uh, like you said, they haven't won beaten anyone else. I just need one win from them, okay? If Ottawa could beat any other team just once, I'll be... I'll be fine with it, but just looking at just looking at this team. I mean, since we've last recorded, as I said, two and zero against Calgary, two and one, two one and one against Edmonton. Obviously, the overtime loss last night. Um, let's start positive here. So, let's start with what we've liked about this team. I think the obvious one's the power play. They're operating over forty percent. They got the two good units working. What else other than the power play has has really stood out to you as a major positive thus far? Well, you know, I think first I'll say that I know we're going to really deeply kind of go into this team in terms of five on five. And a lot of people have just been posting their overall um, expected goals differential at five on five. And it's just under 50%, which, you know, when you look at this division and you look at the team and, and, you know, kind of their what their goal is, which is to pretty much be a team that controls play. And that's something we've heard over the years, whether it's Dubis, whether it's Keefe. They're going to be a team that really wants to control play, really wants to control possession. So when you're playing a bunch of guys, you know, a bunch of Canadian teams, you kind of expect that the Leafs would be at the top of the division in terms of that and definitely be above 50%. But so I guess when we are looking at things that are good, that's a good sign is that when you do look at this lineup and you look at the numbers, you, you can really distinctly see which lines are doing well and which lines are not doing well. And then you can look at what's doing well, what's not doing well, and kind of change it from there. So, I mean, the the easy bright spot here is the Muzzin Hall pairing. I think, I think Kevin, you and I need to pat ourselves on the back uh, from time to time. And you know, over the off season, we saw a lot of Justin Hall banter, especially on my timeline. I'm not sure about yours, but I felt like you and I throughout each podcast, like that was never a thing that you and I disagreed about. It was never something we were worried about was that Muzzin Hall pairing. And I mean, right now they have been absolutely, they've been better than they were last year. It's been a small sample, but they've been excellent. Um, They've been dominating the shot share. They've been even goals. They're, they're in the positive and, you know, they haven't really gotten easy deployment. They're starting the defensive zone more than they're starting the offensive zone. And they're getting the other team's top line every single night. So um, if I had to say one clear bright spot for this team, once again, it's that Muzzin Hall pairing. Yeah, I think Hall's been, I, I had that him underlined here as just a, a big positive. He's really picked up where he left off last year. The criticism of him over the offseason was a bit weird. I don't think he was amazing in that Columbus series, but 
just overall, like he really emerged. They they were a successful pair last year. That was really the lone bright spot, and really the one thing that I wouldn't have changed heading into this year. I did want to see Riley Brody. Um, I, I think you know, Dubis does deserve a lot of credit for Hall because I was shocked he didn't go on waivers when he only played eleven games that year. I, I also think that extension so far, you know, two million a season. That's looking like a steal at this point, and, and you might have to protect him from Vegas. Or sorry, not Vegas. I'm living Seattle. in the past here. You might have to <laughs> protect him from uh, Seattle. So used to saying protect from Vegas. Um, you might have to protect him from Seattle now because he's been that good. So we'll see how he does the rest of the year. But so far, that pairing, I think, has been the clear positive. I would actually say the defense overall I've liked. Uh, I've really liked Brody. I know the numbers haven't always been there, but uh, I think he's just been steady. He's He's cool under pressure. I think he's been a pretty good puck mover. He's a good stick-on-stick defender. I think Bogosian's been strong, or at least better than expected, especially as a puck mover. Uh, you know, he's a big uh, he's a big presence in the defensive zone. He can kill penalties. But I think he's actually been, you know, he's, he's been better than expected, or at least that I expected as a puck mover. So I've been happy with that. I think Dermot, even though he's in and out of the lineup, has looked good when he's been in. Uh, I think we kind of know that Dermot can be a good third-pairing guy. So I think this team has been... Pretty solid defensively for the most part. Uh, of course, playing only the Canadian teams, it's tough to to really judge how you stack up against teams like Tampa and Boston. But I've liked the team defensively. I do think they're better defensively. It's just when you get into the negatives here, I think the offense has been, particularly at five on five, a, a pretty major concern. Yeah, let's let's stay on the defense here because you know now that we've brought it up, um, so we've kind of touched upon Muzzin Hall. I completely agree, Hall right now. I mean, the way his minutes, especially in the last few minutes, like past few games, Keith is really trusting him. Um, I think he looks excellent. I commented about his skating the other day, um, just in terms of, you know, the first couple games in the Columbus series. I thought he looked like his skating wasn't as good as it used to be. And the last five, six games, like, that just makes me look silly commenting about his skating. He's looked like the old Justin Hall. Um, I haven't seen him this confident since his day with the Marlies. Um, just him jumping up into the offense, him starting breakouts, him denying zone exits. But enough about them. I want to talk about Riley Brody here because they are kind of one of my bigger concerns right now. And, and I tweeted out earlier today, um, just this morning actually, um, talking about the expected goals for percentage at 5-on-5. Five five. And right now Riley Brody have played 154 5-on-5 five five minutes together and they're at 39%. They're in the negative in terms of goals for, goals against at 5-on-5. Five five. Their shot differential, shot attempt differential is in the negative. Um, and, I mean, they've had better use, I mean, better deployment in terms of zone starts than the Muzzin Hall. So, for me, there's a pretty big gap between the Riley-Brody pairing and the Muzzin Hall. Uh, Muzzin Hall being better right now. And it's kind of weird because I really have thought that Brody's looked good, as you said. I think that he's... You know, I've seen him make good decisions, and I very rarely look at him and think it's his fault. But Riley, I've been really disappointed with thus far. Are you kind of on the same boat there? Somewhat. I think I agree that I think Brody's been more of a positive than Riley at this point. As a pairing overall, I'm not too concerned with him. I just think the defense has been good overall. Uh, I know that, you know, I looked at Brody's numbers too. So his most common forward that he's been up against has been McDavid. I think they've played Edmonton four times, and he's the one getting that matchup. Um, And they've kind of gotten crushed by McDavid, which is understandable. Uh, Other than that, I think they've been okay. Like, it it almost reminds me of, I know the 39% expected goals for doesn't look good on paper, but, like, Brody's around 45%, which is a bit better just on his own. He's barely played without Riley. So, like, obviously he did well in his minutes apart from Riley, but... It almost reminds me like when we're at a when we're at a Jays game like a week into the season and you look at the jumbotron and you know Bo Bichette's hitting 100 and then all of a sudden he has a good game and he's hitting like 280 like I think the samples are just so small that I've been you know I'm kind of hesitant to look at the numbers on an individual basis just more like you know how the team's doing overall I have liked the defense defensively I think um, I guess my criticism would be more towards Riley there, and that's just it's it's largely driven because this team's been weak offensively at five on five, and he's really counted on to be kind of a, a top play driver offensively at five on five, right? Like he's supposed to be their main offensive guy. We know what he's capable of. He had a seventy point season uh, 
not last year, but the year before. And I don't think he's really stood out um, either way. Like I, I found Riley to be invisible most nights, and you're kind of counting on him to be one of your, you know, an offensive star from the back end, like a Quinn Hughes or, you know, a, a Kale McCard type. I don't think he's been that. So I guess he's been more the negative, and I've, I've actually thought Brody's in the in the positive category. Yep, I completely agree. I'm glad you brought up the offense there, um, especially when it comes to that pairing. Um, I had a reply yesterday to one of my tweets um, about Riley, and it was saying that he actually has one point less than Nylander. So this was actually before Nylander scored. Um, so I did some digging, and so Riley right now, he's got um, he's got zero primary points at 5-on-5. Five five. So he's got three assists. All of them are secondary, and then the rest of the points that he has are on the power play. Um, all of which are actually also secondary assists. So right now his only primary point is a goal. Now, I don't want to harp or even like put the spotlight on points when they were talking about a defenseman. But when it comes to Morgan Riley and he's not doing well defensively, and I like you said, I don't really think he's driving the play offensively. You want to look at points and you want that to be there. And right now, I mean, it's only been 10 games, but... Um, you know, th- this is really concerning for me because I think all these years we've always been able to kind of point out that, you know, Riley played with Hainsey and Riley played with Barry and CeCe and Hunwick and Polak and go down the list. And and now you're playing with TJ Brody, a guy who really passes my eye test. And, you know, you look at some of his pairings other than Riley this year, and it's a small sample, but he's played well. And now you, you, you kind of say, well, you know, if... We need Morgan Riley to be kind of the, the old Morgan Riley where even though he's bad defensively, he's doing so much more offensively that, you know, kind of overall it's still a net positive. And I really don't think he's been a net positive thus far this year. So that's kind of the big concerning point for me. With with Riley, I will give him some credit for the power play um, just because I think, you know, if he's not in the lineup, they don't have really another guy that I think would be a, a real high-end guy on the power play. Um, unless Sandine's going to play. Um, so I'll give him some credit for that. But I think, as you said, 5-on-5 five five hasn't been there, uh, particularly offensively, because that's what I'm expecting. I don't think he's been like horrendous defensively, though he's still not his calling card. Um, I do think that you're going to need him to kind of drive the bus more offensively, set up plays, set up scoring chances. And we haven't really seen that thus far. So I'll put him in the negative category. Um, I wanted to uh, ask you about Zach Bogosian. I think you tweeted the other day that he was growing on you. What do you got? What do you got to say about him? Well, last podcast when you said that he was one of your bright spots, I right away right away said no. And it's funny because I felt like the first couple games, Bogosian really had trouble moving the puck. And the past couple games, he's just kept within his means. I mean, he's made some nice short passes, and I do think Keith's system really helps kind of lower end puck movers in comparison to Babcock's where it's you know the Fords were already left the zone and you saw guys like Hainsey and Polak trying long passes and Zaitsev which just kind of caused icings at the end of the day or turnovers where Keefe's system I mean you have two or three forwards um, you know in your own zone so it's shorter passes are obviously easier to make um, so I think Bogosian's been fine you know obviously you see that I just really like the way that they're using him right now um it's pretty clear that Keefe trusts him. Like late in games when the Leafs are winning, um, we've seen pairings like like we've seen Bogosian Brody. It's actually their seventh most defensive pairing used right now. Muzzin Bogosian is actually the fifth most used pairing right now. So, like clearly, the Leafs have had the lead obviously a bunch in the first ten games. So and and clearly Keefe trusts Bogosian, and I don't see why he shouldn't. I think he's been great. Um, defensively, and when we're talking about pushing the puck up the ice, he's he's kept within his means. So, um, you know, I won't admit that I'm wrong very often, but uh, after that that episode, this this time I'll say that I was wrong then. And and I've really liked Bogosian the last couple games. Yeah, I think with him, like he looked, he surprised me in the playoffs for Tampa, where like if he's with a good puck mover and he's not on, you know, the the, the Buffalo Sabers, he looks a lot better. Um, I, I just think. Whether it's Dermot or whether it's Lennon, he's looked good with. Like, they can both kind of help him as a puck mover. He's actually pretty good at moving the puck, I'm surprised. I haven't liked Lennon. I kind of put him in the negative category. Obviously, he's got limited minutes, and I think they're going to give him a more of a chance. They don't mind rotating him in, but 
like for now, I think Dermot Bogosian's probably their best pairing. I want to see Sandine play at some point, just because he hasn't played in like over a year. Like just get him maybe one game. Um, but I, I do think that right now, like, would you change the defense pairings at all, or would, would you just kind of roll with what they're doing? Keep rolling. I mean, if you get Sandy in a game, that's cool. Um, I I don't think Lettinen has looked as confident as I've seen him play in the past. Um, the last two games, he's looked more confident than the first two games, but still like nowhere near, I think, what he's kind of capable of doing. Um, I mean, he's, he's only played 18 minutes at 5-on-5, five five, so you know, I, I've seen a lot of people kind of already kind of write Lettinen off, and it just kind of seems silly to do that at this point. I mean, he's only played 18 minutes, 5-on-5, five five, as I said. So, um, you know, Dermot Bogosian's looked a lot better. The numbers would back that up. Um, and But in saying that, like, we're only at game 10, and I expect this rotation to occur for at least another 15, 20 games. I mean, especially if the Leafs are going to be winning. Um, it's not like they're in must-win situations every night, and... I think their main goal should be you want to have a optimal optimal lineup in game one of the playoffs. And like too many years before this, we've seen players like Justin Hall, like Josh Levo, like Connor Carrick. We've seen guys be healthy scratched for far too long. And then they go to another team or another coaching staff in Justin Hall's case, and they get heavy minutes and they start playing well. And you think to yourself, we could have had a really good player in the past if we just gave him a chance. So they signed Lettinen. You know, it doesn't really hurt them right now to play him. He's hardly playing at five on five. He helps that power play too. And, you know, you hope that he, uh, you know, he kind of steps up into that third pairing role. Yeah, I know Keith touched on that he didn't look all that confident to him. or And I, I agree right. with him. Um, I think that, you know, the kind of the tricky situation with him is He's only on a one-year deal. He's an unrestricted free agent. So it's like, how much time do you want to spend developing him if it's not working? I do think that they'll try to... They're going to get him some more games here. He hasn't played big minutes. Uh, I just think if the playoffs started today and there was an injury, I'm not even sure if he'd, if he'd be the sixth because um, I don't know if they they trust him. Like They don't trust him late in games. It was a bit awkward against Edmonton because obviously like you don't want him out against McDavid whatsoever. Um, I don't know. I'd probably give him another five games. I might go Dermot, you know, two or three instead of, you know, every other game. Um, and, and then just rotate letting it in and see what he can do. But um, right now I'm, I'm starting to wonder if, if you know, maybe it's only a five-more-game stretch. But I think that kind of touches on the defense overall. We're pretty happy outside of, you know, I think Riley's been a bit disappointing. Um, how about forwards, Nick? Is there... Uh, let's start positive again, if we can. I know it's kind of difficult. Um, other than power play, is there anyone that's kind of stood out to you at 5-on-5? Five five? Um, it would definitely be Zach Hyman. I think that he right now is getting some of the toughest minutes out of all forwards, um, especially in terms of zone starts. Um, he's also getting tough minutes in terms of who he's playing against, and he's third on the team in terms of expected goals. So... Um, he just almost gets better like a fine wine every single year. And, um, you know, nothing but good things about Zach Hyman. I think he's been a real bright spot. He's been great when he was on the third line, on that matchup line. Then now they've they've promoted him up to with Matthews and Marner. And he's, you know, you kind of don't need to worry about that line because you know it's going to be so good. So that's my, my if I had to single out one player, it would have to be uh, Zach Hyman. Yeah. I am already kind of dreading this offseason because I don't know what's going to happen with Zach Hyman. Um, he's coming back. I'm not worried. He's been just he's, elite. he's just so consistent because his game, like he's going to forecheck every night. Um, it, he has been good. I'll give you that. I think the Matthews-Marner duo has been pretty good. Um, obviously, they've done well in terms of things like expected goals and, and shot attempt differential. Um, but other than that, I think we're kind of running out of positives pretty soon i will say that you know hyman in the top six certainly been um you know as as predicted it's he's been good he's always been good in the top six i think that has to continue um i would say i don't really see any other positives i think kerfitt's been fine as a third line center don't know if it's to the point where i had to call it a positive 
Um, I like Pierre Engvall, and we'll get kind of to the depth forwards a bit later, but I, we're going to get into the things we haven't liked here pretty quick, and I'm going to start with, yeah. with John Tavares and the John Tavares line. Uh, he hasn't had a primary point at 5-on-5. Five five. I guess he has if you count that one. That was like half a second after the power play. Um, <laughs> he's been over 50% uh, in terms of expected goals in just two of the 10 games so far, one being against Ottawa. And if you looked at the, the Leafs' kind of strategy at the start of the season, it was, okay, we're going to play Kerfoot against top lines. We're going to give Tavares easier minutes. And even with those easier minutes, they weren't really beating up on the opponents. I know Tavares lately has been taking on tougher matchups once again, but that line hasn't been great at 5-on-5. Five five. And, you know, I think Nylander's been fine, to be honest, but they haven't really found the right winger for that line on the other side. Like, Jimmy Vesey, I did not like on that line. Um, Makaev has been okay, but, you know, they haven't really generated much offensively yet. Um, I would say that Tavares doesn't really look like himself. I know the points are there, but those are all really power play based, and I think you need better from from John Tavares at five on five. Yeah, um, I think you kind of you, you hit it exactly how it is in terms of it's it's that it's that third winger. I, I don't think VZ's been noticeable at all. Like the first ten games, uh, I don't know what he adds to that line. I know they asked him to be kind of like a Zach Hyman, and that just I just don't think that's going to happen. Um, Tavares, to me, I, I think I've. I, I do expect more of him, that's for sure. I mean, they wouldn't have signed that contract if they if they expected numbers like this. Like, I think he's definitely got more in him. Um, like you said, I li- I've liked Nylander. I think that, you know, his ability to gain those zone entries have still been there. I think he's been battling well. Um, again, I think that he has more in him um, as well, but I think it's just finding that third person, and, and I'd like to see Mikheyev get a shot there. Um you know, other than that, though, right now with, with injuries and stuff like that, I don't know who you can put there. Maybe Engvall, but that might be kind of a stretch. But they just need to find another forward there. I think that if they do make a trade later near the deadline, I think it would be a, a player to slot in that spot. Um, but, you know, for for me, that line has been has been quiet. But, like, they haven't really been shelled. Like, I, I think we're going to get into the bottom six. And... That's really kind of the the two lines that are really kind of driving down their, I guess their underlying numbers right now is is those those bottom two forward lines. Like the, the top two lines haven't really been driving them down. They've, they've kind of done their job in that way, um, offensive production aside. So so I, I think let's get to let's get into the third line because hold on hold on hold on Tavares. I would say that he has kind of brought them down because at the start of the season, you were kind of like, I think Kerfoot's been fine. I think his line mates have sometimes not. Um, at the start of the season, like the trade-off was we're going to hurt Kerfoot's production by playing playing him against top lines, and we're going to really bolster Tavares's. And that just hasn't happened. Like they haven't been scoring enough. Like I have no complaints about Nylander thus far. Um, I think... I think Tavares just hasn't dominated. Like you're expecting him to be a, a first line caliber center, and just hasn't done that. But as you said, VZ was the one guy I wanted to get into here before we kind of go in the bottom six. So I just find he's been invisible. I don't know. I, I don't think I'm very like concerned about Tavares going forward, though. Like I, I think he's going to step it up. Like that's not really. I hope you know, so. Maybe it just takes him a. Yeah, but they need him gonna... to be. They need him to be, you know, a first look like a first line center because this team is really built especially because this year they don't have the same scoring depth like you better get you can't really have an off year from Tavares so I think we're optimistic he'll bounce back but I don't know if so far I I can't say that he's been good but the guy I want to get into is VZ I know you touched on him I found that he's been invisible um like my question is like what's he good at like he's not a good carrier he's not a great playmaker he's not that physically strong forechecker like Hyman like they asked him to be he's just not I think he's just an okay goal scorer. Like he can, he's kind of had two tap-ins from Nylander this far. I think he's got you know two goals in ten games. Um, I found he's been pretty invisible. Like at this point, I don't want him in the playoff lineup, and if I do, I want him on the fourth line for sure. Um, so I guess I guess him in the top six was a bit of a failure. Obviously, Mikhaev hasn't scored. You need him to score at some point. I know he's getting the chances. Um, time to put the puck in the net. But yeah, as you said, I think the bottom six is. It's not what it used to be, and trading Janssen Kapanen uh, obviously is, is part of is part of the reason why. 
Um, and I think on the other, like you can you can blame injuries a bit with Thornton and, and Robertson, but I do think too this is a team with five top six forwards, as I said all off season, and you do notice the lack of a, a sixth top six forward on that second line, and uh, I think you have kind of noticed the a weaker bottom six for the most part too. Yeah, I'll ask this. Um, so after Thornton and Robertson were injured, we saw a different top nine. Um, would you rather see the top nine that has Hyman on the top line? Um, obviously, the VZ line has stayed the same. And then the third line right now is VZ, Kerfoot, and Simmons. So do you like that better than when it was Thornton, Matthews, Marner, and the third line was kind of that matchup line? Like, Which, which one would you go to? Let's say if everyone was healthy and... Oh, let's just say you had to pick one or the other. Okay, I want Hyman in the top six, so that would be my first priority. I would also, there is room for a second top six winger there, right? I wouldn't mind getting a longer look at Thornton. I know the results are there. I haven't really been able to judge. Like, I do think that part of the reason that line was so good was just because Matthews and Marner are really good players. I don't know how much Thornton was driving those results, but I wouldn't mind seeing Thornton in the top six again and just, you know, give it another five games, see what it looks like. But I definitely want Hyman in the top six. Okay, that's where I'm feeling too. Um, I think, yeah, we didn't get enough with Thornton, but I, I really like that top six now, and especially that top line. It's, it's looked good. Um, you know, it's funny. I just looked this up. Tavares, his sh- the amount that he shot this year, like his individual Corsi, his shots per 60, like the rates are way lower than before. It's not even comparable, actually. They've been, they've been like a completely different team offensively. Like we're used to this team... We're used to this team being weak defensively and just, you know, they're they're going to, they're like a running gun offense, right? Now they're kind of a, they almost remind me of the Boston Bruins where they have one right. one good line, a really good power play, and they just kind of lull you to sleep. But, you know, they haven't been quite as good as that team. It's kind of like an inferior version of the old Boston Bruins, um, at least when they had Pasternak healthy. Um, but it's it, it's been weird. Just a weird start. I think I don't want VZ in the top six for sure. Whether it's Thornton or Micaiah for that last spot, we'll see. Um, but I do think you need to address the bottom six, and it should get better with Thornton and Robertson back. Um, but at this point, I do think you're going to need a forward at the deadline. Uh, at least that's my hope. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I think that we haven't really seen... Like, if you do put Mikhaev in that top six as well, mm-hmm. then I look at that bottom six, and it, it's, it is really weak. Um, you know, I'm not really expecting too many goals to be coming from them, um, especially at five on five. So it's, yeah, they definitely want to want to add somebody. It's so funny because it's almost like I'm not even used to be to talking about this team as some sort of defensive, like defensively strong team who struggles to score at five on five. Like there's been so many years where this team has been so good offensively and it's almost weird to be talking about it like this. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of predictable just based on their offseason, but that was the trade they made when they you know, of when they decided to spend on Brody, and I think that's a fine call. It is definitely easier to get a winger at the deadline than a, you know, a, specifically a right defenseman. Like, if you not only need a defenseman, but you need one that shoots right specifically or plays the right side specifically, it just gives them way more options. Like, they can play Nylander at right wing or left wing. They can, they can work around handedness up front a lot easier. So I do think that'll get addressed, and I think you know post deadline it might be as long as they have enough cap space to make a move. Um, I, I do think that'll should be addressed. I will say that right now, just looking at their forward lines, like it feels like they have two fourth lines. Like Wayne Simmons, and I know we said this all off season. Like his Brandon Brothers is on the power play, and other than that, he's kind of like a Clifford replacement. He's going to be you know a fourth line winger that goes out and hits. Um, you're not expecting him to really drive play at 5-on-5. At five five. He's not a good enough carrier. He's not a good enough playmaker. Uh, he'll chip in the odd goal, but he's more of a fourth-line winger at this point of his career. Um, I think I, I think uh, VZ looks like a fourth-line player. I see no reason why he's looked like a, a top-line player. As we've said, he's looked invisible. So I find that now that VZ-Kerfoot-Simmons line is, is really a fourth-line other than Kerfoot. And then their fourth-line is kind of a more of a traditional fourth-line Um so I, it seems right now they kind of have two fourth lines rather than, you know, I, I know some points when the Leafs had like Janssen Kapp and it almost felt like they had two third lines. So 
I do think they're a bit weak there, and uh, let's hope that you know guys like Thornton, guys like Robertson, uh, change that when they come back. Yeah, I, I actually have in mind um, Simmons' play. Actually, like I, I don't think he's going to be some sort of like play driver in the bottom six, but I felt that at times last year the third line with Kerfoot and Kapanen, like they really gained the zone and then they were never able to get to the middle of the ice and into the dangerous areas. And, you know, when, when we see that Kerfoot VZ Simmons line, I have kind of felt the same unless Simmons has the puck. And I've seen a few times where Simmons, you know, tries to drive to the net or he'll just kind of make a play where he throws the puck towards the net. And, you know, it's not always pretty, but sometimes you got to get, you need a little bit of chaos and to kind of put those defenders into some confusion and, and, not so structured. Like I feel like the Leafs keep the opposite opposite opposition uh, defenders in. So I kind of like that randomness that that Simmons brings to that third line, and it's kind of brought some some offense, um, you know, in, in very short stints to that um, to that at five on five, like in that bottom six. So I don't know. Like I, I don't think he's gonna be like kind of a star in that bottom six, but I, I've liked Simmons for what he's brought. Same. I think Simmons has been pretty good. I just think. Like, he's had a good week. I think he scored, like, three goals this week. So, uh, definitely been happy with him. He's looked pretty good on the power play. Um, I just think that he's not the guy that drives plays. He's kind of the guy that's going to go to the net and, you know, put home the garbage goals. And, you know, VZ's not really the guy that's driving play either. So, I do think, you know, maybe a maybe if you go Mikhaev, Kerfoot, Simmons, when, when Thornton comes back or Robertson comes back, maybe that works better. I like Simmons. I just think he's... Like ideal world, I have him as my. You're fourth. not relying on him. Ideal world, I have him as my fourth line right wing, or if he is on the third line, I want you know a good left winger, someone better than Beasley on the left side. But you know the Leafs are kind of doing what they they have to right now, just given their injuries and given their you know lack of I guess other options in the top nine. So I haven't minded him. Yeah. I just think, uh, yeah, I think we're aligned there. It's just, uh, you know. They do seem to be missing one player. Ideally, you you add another top six forward that pushes everyone one spot down the depth chart, and then things look a lot better in a hurry. Yeah, let's talk about the fourth line, and let's talk about some of the the more depth options. Like we've talked about, you know, we haven't really talked about Spezza and and um, Travis Boyd, who's gotten a little bit of time, and we're not going to take up the next twenty minutes talking about this. But um, and we also saw Joey Anderson and Pierre Engvall. So what are you what are your thoughts about kind of those kind of those 13 14 15th forwards that have that have had a chance to play? Who's really stuck out to you? Engvall. I think Engvall is probably like their 10th best forward honestly. Like I would put him over VZ, I'd put him over I put him over Spets at this point, I think. Um I think Engvall is kind of close to Mikhaev to be honest. Like they're both big, they're both like Engvall's a really good penalty killer. He hasn't really been used there much, but this year at least. Um, I just think he's, he's a guy that drives a line. He's good defensively because he's got a long reach and he's a good skater. Uh, he can play center or wing. Uh, he's just through takeaways and he's set up a few chances and he's only played four games. Like that Boyd goal, uh, he was the one that made the pass. Uh, I, I just found that I think he's a legitimate NHL player. I know when Robertson and Thornton come back, He's probably the odd man out because they probably can't make it work from a cap perspective. But there's no cap in the playoffs. And at this point, I want to involve my playoff lineup. I thought he looked good in the playoffs with, I believe he centered, uh, it was Jason Spezza and Kyle Clifford. Um, I thought Engvall was really good in that series. I do think, I do I do know that he hasn't scored much. Um, but I, I just think he's a good play driver and they could use a good play driver, whether it's playing with a guy like Simmons or... Like, I really like, and one thing I might try would be an Engvall, Kerfoot, Mikhaev line. I think that line's been outstanding uh, last year. So I, I might go back to that at some point. It just seems to work. I don't really know why it works. It just seems to work, and they're strong defensively. The other thing is I wouldn't mind trying Engvall in, like, a Hyman-type role. I know they, they try to make VZ a Hyman late, which didn't work. I think Engvall, you know, it is a bit of a stretch, but... I'd like to give him more opportunity. I think he's really the one guy that's kind of stood out both by my eye test. And then if you kind of look at things like, you know, Corsi or expected goals, he's he's kind of ahead of, of the field there. Yeah, I think Engvall is the the clear standout. Um, and I think we knew that coming in, that he was probably closer to 
you know, I probably have to give more thought into it in terms of if he's the 10th best forward, but he's definitely in the top 12. Um, and I think we knew that going in and, and why both you and I were upset that he took the contract that he did. Because um, I think he should be in the lineup every single night, which is kind of tough to do when, you know, they're full, they're completely healthy. Um, I'm not upset. It? I I think if you're him, you take the money, to be honest, but... Um, it does. I don't know. I think I think that was pretty short sighted. Like you look at guys like Johnson, you look at guys like um, potentially what Dermot's doing this year. Um, it's I don't know. It's an odd decision to me, considering you have like such like easy close to home examples. But um, one thing I did find kind of interesting is that you know you look at the fourth lines when Barabanov has been on the ice, and Keith has hardly played those fourth lines at five on five throughout the games. Like for example, like Barabanov's only averaging just under six minutes um, at five on five in each of the games he's played. Spezza just above that and Brooks is around seven. And the fourth line that Keefe actually played the most was a line of Joey Anderson, Pierre Engvall, and Travis Boyd at center. They played just around nine minutes in the game that they played. So I just thought it was interesting. They got some shifts late in the game when they were up in the lead and I think the three of them are such a nice defensively responsible line. They obviously got the goal, the Boyd goal, um, in that first game that Boyd played, So and the only one that Anderson played. So I thought that was interesting that we saw that how much Keefe trusted that line, where when he has like Spezza or Barabanov on that fourth line, like he's hardly playing them at five on five. So I don't know if, if you know, for example, Joey Anderson's going to get out there a shot or an extended shot, but I just thought it was cool how, how Keith really trusted that line in comparison to the others. Yeah, so what was it? Boyd, Anderson, and? And Pierre Engvall. Okay. Yeah, I think, like, for me, is the driver of that line. Um, just, he covers so much ground. I didn't love Joey Anderson. I mean, he got kind of got caved in in terms of expected goals. Um, obviously, he had that tough penalty at the end. He's only one game. I'm not going to make too much out of it. I thought he was okay last year in in, uh, in New Jersey. I don't think he's going to be a great play driver. I think he's like a fine, like I think he's a perfectly fine fourth line type. You just have a lot of those guys. Like I prefer Spets on the wing in an ideal world as the fourth line right wing. I I prefer in an ideal world Spet uh, Simmons as the fourth line right wing. So he's just kind of in a tough spot. Obviously Boyd could play the wing as well if you wanted him to. Um, so he's kind of in a tough spot. Yeah, he, uh, he's, he's fine. He's here for three the role years, that he's right? in right now is just, you know, if there's injuries, if someone needs a night off, he comes in, gives up some minutes, and then, yeah, exactly. If there's some injuries, then he might get a chance. Yeah. But he's a so, long-term thing. Yeah, he's more probably getting a chance hopefully next year. But, yeah, you can give him a few more games at some point and, and see how he does. I mean, like, if, if you're betting on the Leafs, for example, on the lines, you know, minus 140, when, you know, if Anderson comes in for Barabanov, the line's still going to be minus 140, right? Like, they're not... It's not like Austin Matthews is out and the odds change drastically. So I, I think you can give him some chances. He seems like a great person off the ice, by all accounts. Um, Boyd, again, like two games, kind of got caved in by expected goals for. Obviously, he had two points. Um, I thought his goal was nice, where he kicked the puck up to himself and scored. He's an interesting one because he did play for Washington in the plan series, kind of as a third-line center. I know Washington didn't have a great series, but I think he could play. I, I'm not really – I don't like him more than Engvall um, as the center. I kind of like having Spezza because he could, he's so good on face-offs and he, he's good on the second power play unit. Um, but I wouldn't mind getting a longer look at him. Like, for me, Boyd, I just haven't seen enough. Uh, Brooks, I didn't think looked great either, but again, haven't seen enough. Barabanov, I think, has been pretty fine. He's just – I don't think he brings a ton to the table offensively. I think he wins some battles good on the forecheck. It's just, you know, they need some offense in that fourth line. You know, I think with all these guys, you're just going to rotate them in and out until Thornton Robinson get back at least. And, you know, we'll just need a bigger sample before jumping to any major conclusions. Yeah, especially with this bottom six. because Well, especially the fourth line because they hardly play a game. Like we're talking under under 20 minutes, like <laughs> out of these 10 games for some of these guys. So it's funny because... I said that we wouldn't spend 20 minutes talking about the fourth line, and I think we're we're pretty close to that. So we're pretty really? on brand here. I hope I think so. I don't know. It's definitely more than I expected, but we're pretty. That's pretty on brand for us. <laughs> I think my hope is at like you get someone at the deadline, they push everyone down the depth chart, 
someone like Engvall really emerges as um, as, a, as a clear top 12 forward. And then, you know, you don't really have these guys. You don't really have a spot for these guys. Like, that's kind of a nice... If, if you can't play Barabanov because you're just so happy with your 12 forwards, I think that's a good problem to have down the line. Obviously, we're not there right now. So we'll see some rotation. I will say on Engball, I would have taken the money. I mean, half a million dollars more than league minimum for two years. And then you look at a guy like Anderson who's, you know, making the minimum, not getting a chance. I do think he's in a tough spot. And, you know, I think the bet on yourself maybe for one year. But, I mean, half a million dollars is a lot of money. Um, <laughs> I, I hope he is able to play, though, because it is a pain that, you know, if, if the cap's off, if they're over the cap by like a hundred grand, you can't go in um, versus someone else. But uh, I do hope that he kind of emerges, and I would like to keep him in, in the future. Uh, how about goaltending? Like, let's touch on them quickly. I guess the biggest, the biggest problem for me right now is obviously the Campbell injury. Every time I watch a Leafs game, I'm just praying Anderson doesn't get hurt. Um, <laughs> you don't have the same kind of confidence in Hutchison that you have in Campbell. Um, so I guess, I guess it's nice that there's kind of four days off here in a sense because that's four days closer to having Jack Campbell back. That's really my only takeaways on the goaltending situation. Yeah, and I'll say that um, Anderson is probably a huge reason the last couple of games that the Leafs have gotten the points. Um, he's, I think he's been really good the last couple of games. We obviously want to see him kind of raise up that save percentage, but I think if he keeps playing this way, it'll just continue to rise up. And and yeah, Jack Campbell 2-0. Um, not much to complain. You just kind of hope that he becomes, uh, becomes healthy because he's such a fan favorite. But yeah. I will say this about Hutchison. Like like Keith said, there was only one player last year out of the goalies that was playing second-round hockey. So, um, so yeah, so don't sleep on him just yet. We'll see. I mean, I don't know if he'll play. I'm hoping not much, if at all. Um, I think Anderson, I tweeted this the other day. Like, I know the save percentage is 892. I think he's been pretty unlucky, partly due to five-on-threes, partly due to just bad balances. Uh, I thought he looked a bit shaky last night, but he kind of made up for that at the end. He kind of well, literally got to lose a point with that save late. Um, it's kind of an ideal situation if, if like, this offseason, the ideal situation is that Anderson is better than his save percentage indicates, and that kind of drives down his price. Uh, because if he has a great, like, if Anderson posts a, a 9.25 save percentage this year, the Leafs probably can't afford him. Um and if he's if he's legitimately bad, then you probably don't want to bring him back anyways. So it's kind of a you need kind of the middle ground where you know you still think he's a good starter, but maybe doesn't have amazing numbers, something like that. Like I think it is a bit of a fluke that he's at eight ninety two to be honest right now. But I've been pretty happy with him. Pretty happy with Campbell. It's just you know Campbell can't come back soon enough. I guess is my uh, my takeaway. Um, I wanted to get into so. Anthony Petrelli at Maple Leaf Hot Stove has a, uh, a weekly article, the Leafs Notebook. And one thing he does in there is, uh, I think he does five things I think I do. So I want to get your take. If you're Sheldon Keefe right now, you're looking at this lineup, is there anything that comes to mind that you would change? And what would that be? I would definitely give a, let's say, a three-game stint. Um starting with the next game of trying Hyman, Matthews, Marner as the top line, and then having Mikheyev in that top six with Tavares, Nylander. Now, I know we've seen that um, last game and the game before, but I want to see it for at least an, another couple games. So uh, this one wasn't you know too imaginative, but <laughs> I want to see it for the next couple games and just see how they're doing. because, And then pretty much just continue to jumble up that, top, that bottom six. Okay. So it wasn't the best one, but I will give it to you. Keep doing what they're doing. Well, we're just doing we're we're doing one at a time here. So yeah, we'll yeah. go one, and then you do one. Okay, I'm going one here. It's a kind of it, it kind of contradicts what you're saying, but I think you'll like it because we've talked about this before. I would like to try Marner with Tavares, Matthews with Nylander for a bit. Um, obviously, Tavares in his first season played with Marner, and they were both top five in terms of five on five scoring in the league. I would like to see it. We haven't seen it this year. Uh, I think that's a bit optimal just because I think Tavares needs Marner more than Matthews does. I think Nylander's so good at entries that he can just, you know, gain the zone, drop it back, and, and Matthews can take it from there. Um, I just haven't been 
like as as mentioned, I haven't been impressed with the Tavares uh, line at all this year. I like to get him going at five on five. I would like to try. Like I'd probably go Hyman, Matthews, Nylander, and then go Tavares, Marner, and well, let's say Makaya for now. Um, I wouldn't mind flipping that. What do you think of that? Yeah, I'm definitely a fan of it. I just don't expect it to happen. I think it's just right now Matthews and Marner are clicking so well, it's kind of tough to break it up. Um, but I do like the idea, as always. I think uh, both you and I are kind of the, I'll use a line, one of your lines, we're the presidents of that fan club. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, I guess the next one I will say, and I know you'll be a fan of this one, is... I don't know where you're going with this. As soon as I start, you're going to know. And it has to do with the power play, actually. That is clicking extremely well. And right now, I do like that we're seeing a a lot of different looks. Um, We're seeing two different power plays that are going um, and and both kind of clicking. But I want to see permanently Matthews and Marner on their non-one-timer sides. Because whenever they are there... They score or they have a great chance. We've seen it a lot more in the last three or four games. And Marner turn, getting the puck from Riley and turning towards the middle of the ice and having pretty much three options. Either he has a, he has a chance to shoot, he has a chance to go down the uh, Royal Road to Matthews, which we saw, I think, two games ago. And he has an option to open up his body and pass the puck down low to Simmons, which we also saw. I think that when they're on their one-timer size, it just makes them a lot more static. We've talked about this so many times, but it's just so nice the last three, four games that we've been been able to see that. Um, and just keep it permanently because it works, and we've seen it work. Yes, I had an article about this in the offseason too, and I just prefer it. Now, I don't mind kind of going back and forth just so it doesn't become too, too predictable. Um, I'd have liked that they'd kind of switched it up at times, but I do think that Marner's a lot better on his non-one-timer side. He's just... He's able to carry the puck lower far more easy just because he's on his forehand side. Um, I, I think that he's able to go to Simmons, and Simmons is such a good net friend scorer over the course of his career that I want Simmons to be kind of the new JVR, and, and Marner was so good with JVR. Um, you can also, like, normally you want to set up your good shooters with a one-timer, but Austin Matthews is kind of a unicorn where no one has a wrist shot or a catch-and-shoot like him. So I think he's kind of an exception to the rule. I think he's so good on his on his wrist shot side, I guess I'll call it, rather than his one-timer side. So I don't think it really matters for him what side he plays on. Um, I do like the two, the two power play setup as it's going right now. I don't think either of us would change that just because of how much success they're having. Um, and I have like Nylander and, and, and Spezza on that second unit in particular. Obviously Tavares has been racking up power play points as well, so... I think, uh, Nick, maybe the biggest addition this offseason wasn't TJ Brody. Maybe it wasn't Wayne Simmons. Maybe it was Manny Malhotra because he's got this power play looking good. Yeah, definitely. This power play I don't think has looked good since, well, hasn't looked this good, sorry, um, since the year before McFarland came where they were just, where they had JVR and they had Bozak and they were just a complete dynamo. So definitely will not... um, you know, no complaints about Malhotra. He's been exactly as advertised. Um, so I got, do you I have got any, one more do, here. Yeah, I got one more actually after that too. But okay, you so go, we'll do you three go each. You go first. Okay, um, I will go with um, one thing I do want to see is, and this is kind of just more of a bias to myself, I, I do want to see uh, Letnin get in there with Dermot. Um, I know Bogosian has been really good, but I, I don't think he's been so good that you can't, you know, sit him for one game. Um I don't think they're that relying on him. I think he's still taking, you know, they're playing, he's playing a lot because they're up a goal, like so often. They're actually, they're actually in terms of time, they're the second most, they play the second most out of all teams up one, if that made sense at all. But, um, but yeah, I want to see Letton and Dermot next to each other. I think, you know, sooner or later, we need to see if Dermot can play on that right side. Um, so, you know, I think if you have Lettinen on the left and Dermot on the right, at least we have a bit of a sample. Um, you know, we can give him a try there. And, you know, maybe we'll see if Lettinen can ha- be a little bit more confident playing with a, with a really good puck mover like Travis Dermot. And so you're kind of, you know, nailing two birds with one stone. One, you give Dermot some time on the right side. And the other thing is you have Lettinen 
getting some time with a really good puck mover. So that'll be my third one. Again, it has nothing really to do with how Bogosian's played. I think he's done fine. But if we're going to be experimenting things, I think this is the one we need to experiment. Okay, I'll agree with you there. I think right now I'm pretty firm in my belief that Dermot Bogosian is the best pairing for the third pairing. But I do think that now is the time to experiment because you can, you do have some, some flexibility with the roster because you can put Spets on the taxi squad right now and you have two guys on LTIR. Um, the only thing I'll say is, like, I do think that you don't want to pull a William Nylander on Dermot here, where, you know, Nylander played wing all last season, and then come the biggest games in the, in the playoffs, he's at center for the first time in, like, years. So I do think you want to get some some reps to Dermot, because, like, if the playoffs come, and Justin Hall gets hurt first game, for example, and you want to try... Dermot on the right side, then all of a sudden it's like, well, he hasn't played there in in over, I don't know. I think he might have played there in, in their their scrimmage or something, but that's about it. So, yeah, I'm in for a game. I think you just have to kind of tell Bogosian, like, what you told Dermot, that you're playing well. We just want to get some rotation and give you a night off. You've been playing a lot of games. Uh, maybe you don't do it the first game because there's, uh, you know, a four-day four day break, but... You know, maybe the middle game against Vancouver, especially if you're winning, you can throw him in there. You can kind of afford to experiment a bit more. So yeah, yeah it's funny I'm that you it. called it a uh, William Nylander because they did it to Dermot too. They did it to Dermot when um, he played left side pretty much the whole year, and then come playoff time, and I think they played it for a little bit before the playoffs as well. Babcock had a third pairing of Gardner, and Dermot Dermot. was on the right side against Boston. So they've done it to Dermot too. Yeah, he played at least in the season, though. That's what I mean. You need to get him at least a bit of a... At least they had, like, a bit of a trial, whereas Nylander was just out of nowhere. And just, yeah. I don't know. We've talked about that too many times. Yeah, okay, so what's the last, last one here? Last one is the third line. I just don't... I want to see some play drivers on that third line. I don't think VZ and Simmons are that, though I have, like, Simmons of late. Um, I would like to see... Either, like, my ideal third line is Mikhaev Kerfoot Engvall right now. I want to see that line. Now, I, the problem with that is that I also want Mikhaev in the top six, so I'm a bit torn there. Like, I don't know which one I want to do. The other one would be, I guess, like, Engvall Kerfoot Spezza, because I thought Spezza was pretty good with Kerfoot last year. He can bring some offense to the table. Um, it's not that Spezza's been particularly great thus far, but I wouldn't mind trying Engvall Kerfoot Spezza. You know, if you have a guy like Boyd in the lineup or Brooks that can play fourth-line center, it might make some sense. Um, I would like to see a different third line, though. Like, let's get VZ to the fourth line. Or, like, I don't like VZ and Simmons together because I don't think either of them really drive play. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to see, I guess, a change to the third line. And then, I, maybe selfishly, I'd like to see Sandine in a game. Maybe go Sandine Dermot or Sandine Bogosian and, you know, just, just get them a look. Just, yeah. He hasn't played in a year, so that'll be my yeah. uh, my last. A bit of a one. bright thing I'll say is that um, you know Kerfoot hasn't really been given any play drivers, as you said, but I think he's been pretty good. Um, I think that he's been the primary puck carrier, and I think he's a capable puck carrier. Where he's, especially this year, he's really been um, kind of producing a lot of zone entries at a pretty high clip. Um, so I'll say that you know I think that third line that kind of stays afloat because of Kerfoot. Um, but yeah, I think my ideal third line would be Engvall, Kerfoot, and Simmons. Um, Simmons kind of just creating that chaos in the offensive zone. And Engvall and Kerfoot, you know, providing that defensive ability and bringing the puck up the ice, kind of the, the puck transporters. So I'm with you there. I know that you want to talk about um, some Jays. A little later oh, is a big wow. week for the Jays. I know that you're you're saying that earlier, but before we get to that, I have one trivia question here because I don't think we've talked about this player enough. Well, so this season, who is leading the Leafs in primary assists at five on five? Primary assists at five on five. I'm gonna go with. I'm I'm either gonna be way off or somewhat close. I'm going Justin Hall. You either have looked this up or you 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 know my brand here. Wow, is it? It's Justin Hall, four first assists. He sits atop the Leafs by himself at 5-on-5 five five this year. 
We haven't talked about him enough today. I mean, I did know he had primary points at uh, at five on five because I had seen that. And then because it was a trivia, I kind of I was picking off the board. I didn't think he'd go. I didn't think he'd go <laughs> like Marner. That'd be too boring. So that was my uh, my hint. So are you gonna vote for him if you uh, if if they give you a Kevin Papetti the uh, the uh, on the podcast for everything Leafs if they give Norris you vote. a a ballot for Norris are you gonna I might have vote to. for him I mean I like Kale McCarr but I think Justin Hall is now the uh, <laughs> star of the show in this league and it was his birthday yesterday right so yeah it was. I think right now you have to as a as a birthday gift I know he's been excellent I just love his story. Um, both you and I have spent so much time watching him with the Marlies. Um, he was one of their best defensemen, like during the Marlies championship season and the whole story with Babcock and him getting healthy scratch. Like I've just enjoyed watching his, his kind of career. And it's so cool to see him now play so well with this team. And it's, we got him on a pretty good deal here, 2 million. So I can't really complain with that. You ready for Jay's corner here? I am. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to, they deserve the spotlight right now. I think, like, people will have different kind of understandings of them. So I, I know that you're, like, you haven't been following them too closely, so I'm going to give you just kind of the, the background on them. So obviously, I guess the biggest difference between baseball and hockey is the differences in team-to-team salary. So, you know, you have teams like the Yankees spending up to $200 million, then you have other teams spending, you know, 60 to $70 million. Whereas in hockey, almost everyone's at the cap or close to it, other than, like, a few exceptions like Ottawa, right? So... The Jays are kind of in a spot now where when they were good in 2017-2018, they were spending, I think their opening day payrolls went up to $163 million, right? Since then, they've rebuilt. So they've traded Donaldson, Happ, Stroman. They let some guys walk through free agency. And then they've kind of created this young core. So they have Bo Bichette, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Kevin Biggio, Nate Pearson. They drafted Austin Martin at fifth overall last year. And all these guys are, are three to four years from being paid their market value. So they help they, and in baseball you get six seasons of control. So they kind of have this core in place for the foreseeable future. No one's really making much money yet. And then if you look at their, their payroll commitments heading into the offseason, so they have twenty million for Ryu, ten million for Grichuk, twelve million for Rourke, which is a bit of a bad one, ten million combined for like Guriel, Hernandez, Yamaguchi. Then they have, you know, five million combined for a couple other guys. So it's about sixty million in commitments, and then everyone else is on the league minimum. So you're looking at like a seventy-five million dollar payroll. And when they were contending, they're up north of one sixty, right? So obviously you see the one sixty and you see the seventy-five and you say, Okay, they got lots of money to spend here. So it's just the funnest time to be a Jays fan. It's almost like when, you know, the big three, Matthews, Marner, Nylander, were all kind of still cheap and you, you kind of had tons of money to spend. Now you kind of don't want to do the Patrick Marlowe situation or the Nikita Zaitsev situation, but they went and got George Springer, who's one of the better players in baseball uh, up the middle of the position. They got Marcus Semien, who's, you know, he, he had a really good year in 2019. He was, I think he finished third in MVP voting. Um, hasn't been, that was kind of a one-off, but I think he'll be an above average player. They got Yates, who is one of the best relievers in baseball in 2019. They got like Chatwood, Robbie Ray, but they, they need a pitcher. So they still have a top, I would say top 10 farm system for sure. Uh, it seems like they still have some money left to spend. They still have uh, they still have tons of prospects they can trade from. So just an exciting time to be a Jays fan, Nick. I think you're going to have to get back on the bandwagon here. Yeah, I know. Honestly, I haven't watched heavily like MLB baseball since the Donaldson days, I would say. And then I definitely haven't watched a non-Jays game since that time. So... But I think the burning question for me and probably half the listeners is Mm -hmm. you said that the Jays right now are kind of like when Matthews, Marner, and Nylander were on the team when they first joined Mm -hmm. the Leafs. So which Jay is Matthews, which Jay is Nylander, and which Jay is Mitch Marner? That's what I really want to know. Okay, I think they don't have a Matthews, right? Like Baseball isn't that, I guess, predictable where you can say with full certainty, but I would say it would have to be Guerrero just because... Like Guerrero has a chance to be a, a like the best hitter in baseball. That's his potential. He hasn't really been great so far, but he's so young. Like I think he was younger than most of the players that got drafted this year. Um, so he's like ridiculously young to be in the majors. 
Um, I would say Bichette will put him as the uh, as the Marner, where he's got you know he's already been pretty good. He's got a lot of upside, and then we'll put. Uh, I thought he was going to be the Neilander because the hair. Ah, yeah, that's a good one. Okay, maybe we'll have to change that. Marner, I don't know. Like, um, we'll say Austin Martin. Well, how about that? He hasn't played yet, but top, he was a fifth overall pick. Marner was fourth, so maybe we'll give him that. Just an exciting time. Like, it, it's the funnest part of the of a win cycle when you have this young core that's controllable for the next, you know, everyone's controllable for three, four years, and then um, they have all this money to spend too and a lot of prospects that would interest other teams. So they need a starting pitcher. Um, for sure, I think. Um, like maybe Marcus on the Rockies. I want to ask you, Nick. We did one thing that you you do if you're the the Leafs coach. I want to know. There's going to be a twist on this question. Any former Jay, you can bring them back in their prime. Wow. We got Chris Colabello was a favorite of yours. <laughs> you got you can go Kawasaki. Doesn't have to be the best player. Could be for you know locker room purposes. Who do you want to bring back from the past? I love, you're putting me on the spot here, I'm trying to think, and there's only one player that is popping into my mind right away, and I can see his stance, his uh, hitting stance right now, in my mind, something that as a kid uh, in a basement, my cousin and I used to emulate uh, whenever (laughs) we'd play baseball. Um, This is back in the early 2000s, so I'm going to go with Tony Batista. Wow. One of my favorite hitting stances, and one that I hope, like someone nowadays in present day baseball, like that would bring me back to watching baseball if someone had that hitting stance. I know you know what I'm okay. talking about in terms of his stance. I do. So I uh, I figured you might go Batista, but I didn't know which one he'd go with. Right? There's been some yeah. Batistas. Um, I I was thinking you could have went with like I liked Reed Johnson. That was one of my favorite players growing mm-hmm. up. Gustavo Chassin would have been a big oh. one. Maybe a missed opportunity there, Nick. We'll have to yeah. we'll have to think. He actually had a nice uh, pitching windup. He was like the lefty. I liked that uh, that windup he had. Another was one I a... used to emulate. I think he was a righty, Chassin. Oh, maybe I'm thinking of someone else. Yeah, they've had. I don't this know, is how rusty was... I am. But I, I actually <laughs> your early two thousand Jays knowledge has <laughs> got to get better. The uh, the day that they actually signed Springer. Oh, he was I, a lefty. Uh, he was a lefty. He was a lefty. Okay, okay. So I know my, my stuff on, on baseball. Bad. Yeah, I know my stuff here. Um, so I tweeted out, someone give me the NHL equivalent of George Springer. And I just want to give you some of the answers here because I love like doing these cross-sports references because I think, I think it's so funny just the 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 range of like the, the comparables you'll get, which is why comparables in general are amazing. So we have Max Pacioretty. And then I want to get your... Uh, comparable after for George Springer. So we have Max Pacioretty, Mark Shifley, Sean Monahan, John Tavares, Jonathan Taves. <laughs> One says Justin Hall, which is obviously the winner. Uh, we have Tavares, Mark Stone, Braden Point, Justin Williams, um, Drew Doughty, and Couturier. So wow, some, some good comparables there, especially the fact that Hall was in there. I like the I like the Tavares one. I think that's a good one. So he plays a premium position. Tavares plays center, and Springer plays up the middle at center. It is one where you're getting like he's one of the top outfielders in the game, and Tavares is one of the top centers. Uh, you're getting a star player right now, and you kind of know that at the end of the deal, it might be a lot. Like you are paying him quite a bit. So yeah, I like that one. I think the most. Um, Justin Hall, though, I'll, I'll give him a close second. Also plays a very premium position at right defense, which also we've learned over a, the years. Yeah, yeah, this is weird where like the right defense has, has not been a problem at all. But Nick, I'm going to leave you with one question here, one question that we usually ask at the end of our podcasts, and I'm going to pick the three-game baseball-type series against the Vancouver Canucks coming up Thursday, Saturday, Monday, how many points are you expecting, and how many points do you need to be happy? Um, well, the Canucks are they're pretty hot right now. Um, they've won a few games in a row now, but um, still think the Leafs are the better team. Um, they're obviously getting their wins, so it's three games. So I'll go with they need four points um, that I'm expecting, and four points that's for me to be happy. But um, you know, every night I think that they can win in this division, so. 
Uh, I wouldn't expect them to get... I wouldn't be surprised, sorry, if they got more than four points, but I feel like I'm always on the optimistic side. I'll go four two. So I just think two and one against them, he'll take it. Uh, hopefully Freddy plays all three. And I wouldn't be surprised if they got five and they pulled off an OT loss. Um, three would be... I guess I'm, I'm not too mad with three, but two would be disappointing. So Nick will be uh, will be recapping one of those games, I'm sure, and, and we'll see everybody next week. Thanks for listening.